0: Since we're talking about being old, you know, uh, I don't call it the John anymore, I call it Jim. Because it impresses people when you say the first thing I do in the morning is I go to the gym. <laughs> yeah, <anyway. laughs> my family often says things like, you know, don't embarrass the family and stuff. I feel like I have this morning. I didn't, my belt and my Bible don't match. So... I feel like <laughs> just teasing all right so uh we uh there was a man uh, a church was holding a marriage seminar and the pastor found out there was a man there that had been married just about 50 years and so he asked him he said can you give us some insight into how you know you've been married to the same woman for all these years and the man said well you know i tried to treat her well and spend money on her but he said the best thing i ever did was to take her to Italy for our 20th anniversary. And the the pastor said, well, that's really amazing. You're an inspiration to the husbands here today. Do do you have any special plans for your 50th anniversary? He said, yeah, I'm going to go pick her up. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) Anyway, Galatians chapter 5 is where we'll be today. Galatians chapter 5. We spent last night telling you how, to need, how you need to pay attention to yourself, and you do because the danger out there is great, and we have a role to play in the churches that God has placed us in, and I'm thankful. Isn't it amazing that we get to be a part of the Lord's organism and to serve in His church and, and stuff, and so we have to understand we've got to take heed to ourselves so that we can be what we need to be for the Lord's church. We shouldn't shirk our responsibility to the house of God. In some measure, though, this morning, I'm going to spend my time telling you not to pay so much attention to yourself. (laughs) And when the Bible tells us to take heed to ourselves, it's not an excuse for us to be selfish. That is primarily being about our own interest or our happiness. I read this definition about selfishness. And I thought, this is perfect because it takes a lot to describe how selfish we are. But anyway, supreme love, self-love, or supreme, or self-preference, which leads a person to direct his purposes to the advancement of his own interest without regarding others. It's like, yeah, there's a lot there because basically that's true. And, uh, you know, this leading us to direct our purposes to the advancement of our own interest without regarding others. There's a danger then... In the process of our salvation, that opens us up to being extremely selfish. It's kind of interesting to understand this. You see, men, we are hardwired to be selfish as it is. But when you see what happens in the process of our salvation, it should put us on great alert. And I'm gonna read a couple of verses from Galatians 5, and it's a great chapter about Christian liberty, about the struggle we face between the flesh and the spirit about the works of the flesh about the fruit of the spirit so let's stand and read a couple of verses there Galatians 5 verses 13 and 14 I'm trusting that that sausage is not going to come back and haunt me while I'm preaching today (laughs) Galatians 5 beginning in verse 13 for brethren ye have been called unto liberty now notice this Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so I wanted you to see that selfishness and loving others, loving one another, really are opposites. And it's going to take us learning to love properly to not be selfish. And uh, I know that the Bible says that in the scripture says that no man ever yet hated his own flesh. But verse 14 says we're to love others as we love ourselves. So at once we're kind of demoting our love for ourselves and promoting our love for others so that really they're on even grounding, if you will. So when Paul says to the churches of Galatia that they're not to use their liberty as an occasion to the flesh, he's talking about what we're talking about here, selfishness. So the behavior here to put off is selfishness, and the behavior to put on is by love to serve one another. And by the way, again, selfishness is about the flesh. Here in Galatians 5, it lists for us the works of the flesh. And as we look at those things, we would all recognize and understand those are not things that we need to be producing in our lives. But it does seem that we as men are very self-absorbed. And in fact, often we see our role as leaders in our home as an opportunity to feed our selfishness. And uh, these verses teach that our flesh sees an opportunity in our liberty as an occasion of the flesh, an occasion to be selfish, to seek to fulfill the desires of the flesh. So we want to try to figure that out this morning. Let's pray. Father, we need you today. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be here. And thank you for the good fellowship and time we've had. But Lord, we need your word to just work in us and and God change us. And so Lord, I pray for your filling today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Doing a little bit of research on what people, how people would define Christian liberty. Boy, that's a fun uh, thing to do. And here's some faulty but popular definitions of Christian liberty. Christian liberty can mean that Christians are freed in respect to such activity that is not expressly forbidden in the Bible. Therefore, one can feel free to engage in such activity as long as it doesn't stumble or offend another Christian. So basically what they're saying is you can do whatever you want just as long as there's not some other weak Christian out there to get offended. Uh, Another one, the freedom to do whatever you want in any manner the Bible does not address. You know what's really funny? The Bible addresses every matter of your life. It does. When the Bible says, be ye holy, can you think of one area of your life that is, you know, excluded in that? I mean, you know, when you're supposed to put Christ first, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Is there anything? I mean, it's like everything is there. These people and these definitions. Another one is liberty means that we have the freedom in Christ to enjoy many created things without fear of condemnation. There's another one I read that's a a lot like that. The freedom from God to do whatever you wish in any matter the Bible does not address without fear of persecution by the church or saints. Translated, I can do what I want and you have no grounds to say that it is wrong, you legalistic Pharisee. By the way, in, in their Christian liberty, they can call us any name they want. And so, you know, that's kind of the whole situation there. But look what the Bible says. Look back at chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I, I heard this illustration one time, and I think it's a really great illustration. Liberty is like being in your yard, and there's a fence around your yard that protects you. It's like, as a parent, you might send your kids out to play in the yard. Why? Because you feel like it's protected. There might be dogs roaming the streets or whatever, but, you know, that's where they're protected. And that's really what liberty is. It's it's a place that God puts us in that keeps us safe from all the garbage that is out there. And so, you know, freedom then has to do with being delivered from sin and being kept from its power and its penalty. And I want you to understand, if you have this idea that as a Christian, I can basically do whatever I want, and you know, just as long as I'm not being brought under its power, I'm telling you, sin will bring you under its power. Sin, you know, addictions come from committing sin, you ever heard that? You know, and and so we have to understand that God gives us his liberty, he puts us, hey, the rules in the Bible are good for us, they protect us, they keep us from getting into the mess that we would get into uh, otherwise. You know, think about this. True freedom is the removal of all condemnation. Don't you love Romans 8.1? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Hey, when you got saved, the debt was taken away. You know? Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. You talk about freedom, and it's an amazing thing. Jesus paid it all. I have liberty. I have freedom from sin. In fact, we talked about this last night. If the Son shall make you free, you'll be free indeed. So we have this interesting dynamic going on, though, because I still live in this old, unsaved flesh. So I've got this dynamic, if you will. Here in chapter 5 of Galatians, it says in verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. I remember as a young boy being in Sunday school, and this probably wouldn't be politically correct anymore to do this, but my Sunday school teacher had this flannel graph lesson. And in this flannel graph lesson, she had a boxing ring and she had two boxers. One was a really big, strong boxer, and one was a little boxer. And, and basically, she was teaching us when we do what God wants us to, when we submit to God, then the Holy Spirit's that big one in our life. <laughs> And so, and then you turn around, we're doing what we shouldn't do, then the, the flesh is in control. But there is this battle taking place in our life. Have you noticed? Have you noticed this battle in your own life? Hey, I remind you, Paul even said this, for that I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. In your flesh, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. But in this new life in Christ... I have the Spirit of God living in me. Wow. That's that's awesome right there just to think about. The Spirit of God living in us. And my flesh is really not all that happy about it. In fact, it'll seek occasions to have its way again. It's like the old man and his ways is what he's used to, is what the flesh is used to, and what the flesh likes. It's not too fond of the new man and his ways. So let's listen to this verse again, and then we're going to kind of see if we can't understand it. Verse 13 again says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. There's something about our liberty that the flesh sees as an occasion to the flesh. And I want you to help you understand that this morning. And so the verse says that we've been called unto liberty. All right, we've been called unto liberty. That reminds me of what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 11, he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. That rest, that liberty, he's the only one that can give it to us. He calls us to himself, you know, and he's the one that rids us of our sin, the burden of sin and the guilt of sin. That rest, again, Jesus is speaking of is truly liberty. It's wonderful to be forgiven of our sins. My wife and I were recently visiting in a home of a couple that had been coming to our church. And uh, they, uh, grew up, or they grew up, they, they are coming out of the Inglesia in Cristo mess. And that is a mess. She grew up in it. And her husband had converted in it to marry her. And so we had talked about salvation before, and they both had said they were not ready. They'd been coming to church for a long time. So that night, we, they, they'd let us come to their house on a regular basis to meet with them and study the Word. And so I had given an assignment for that night and some verses that clearly teach the deity of Christ. That seemed to be a, a, an issue that I had to get them to understand. So we went over there and I told them some things that I'd also read about the Inglésia and Cristo and their founding and all that. And so it came time that night to bring the study to an end. You know, in your mind as a pastor, you're, you're thinking, Lord, direct me here. I don't, I, I, you know, I don't know. Is it time to just walk away and, and leave what we've done there? Is it time to try to bring them in or whatever? So I said, before I go, let's turn to Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. So we read that, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So I told them, I said, unless a person believes that Jesus is Lord, they cannot be saved. And if he is Lord, he is God. Right there, it clearly tells us. That we have to, thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And so I tried to get them to to see that and understand. And then I told them, I thought, this is a way to handle this. I said, when you are ready, because they'd already told me before they weren't ready to get saved in another visit. And I said, when you're ready to get saved, let me know. But it's like the Spirit of God said, no. And I said, if you're ready now, it'd be okay. And the wife immediately burst into tears. She said, I've been ready for a long time. I've been ready for a long time and man, you know, and so, you know, right there in their living room, we prayed, she prayed and asked God to forgive her and confessed Jesus as Lord, Jesus as God and she got saved and it was wonderful. He didn't get saved, but she did, but anyway, she gets done and she goes, wow, I feel so good. It feels so much better. That's that liberty we're talking about that comes. Some of us remember when we got saved, how that was for us. That husband still needs to get saved. If you think about it, pray for him. He's a psychologist for the state of California in their prison system. And so he's kind of got some... You know, and and he's been in the Iglesia and Christos. He's got a lot of whole different things going on. But he seems to, he's been pretty faithful to church and he asked good questions and things. But anyway, we still have the opportunity. But anyway, it's amazing, isn't it? We've all heard people say stuff like that. You know, it's an amazing thing. But then a caution is given for that liberty. It says here in the verse, only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Flesh. There's something about that guilt free experience that the flesh sees as an occasion, as an opportunity to get its way. The freedom that comes from being forgiven can provide the flesh enough comfort, if you will, to start the sin process all over again. Hmm. I want to illustrate it this way. They say that the average family. I think it's family. It might be person. The Average family has about $38,000 in credit card debt. Man, <laughs> wow. I, I don't think I could sleep at night. But anyway, and uh, and stuff. And probably a lot of the people that are that way, maybe some of you, you, you don't sleep at night too well. I did a little figuring and I thought, well, if that were, you know, taking the average interest rate of credit cards and over like a 60-month period the payments on that would be like 990 a month. Yeah? And so that's like buying gas in California. But anyway, that's not thing. <laughs> so what they do, what a lot of them do, they get a consolidation loan. They get a consolidation loan. So that spreads the payments out to like 120 months and drops the interest rate and uh, and so the payment on that would be like about 480 a month, so they go from 990 a month to 480 a month. Do you think they feel any relief? They're going, oh, 990 I can't do that, but 440 I can do that. Wow, and they feel that relief. The sad thing is that most of them have never addressed the real problem. And so you know what happens? That new freedom, they think, well, you know, the car's getting kind of old. It's dirty. You know, and, uh, (laughs) you know, I know what the kids did in the back seat there. You know, we got to get rid of this car. So what do they do? They go buy a new car. Next thing you know, they're right back where they were because these little compromises, because they never address the fact that their real problem is greed. They want what they can't afford. <laughs> you know, and that's really what the situation is. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, when a person gets saved, they get true freedom. We're saved, we're forgiven, we're justified from all things. The guilt is gone. But that same flesh still wants what it wants still wants what it wants and so if you're not careful the flesh will see that new freedom as an opportunity to just play a little bit with sin because you know this time we won't let it take us so far so far as it did that it got it to the point that we know that we knew we needed to repent of our sins and be saved This time we'll control it a little bit better. You know, I can do a little bit here and a little bit there because I've got this new freedom. I think that's what he's talking about here. And it won't take long before, you know, you're back in the same mess again. The flesh is like a relator. A relator has his, you know, his three important things. Location, location, location. The flesh has its most three most important things. Me, me, me. And that's really what we're, you know, we're going after. The thing that self needs to know is that sin always takes you farther than you ever intended to go. The Bible says, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? I'm telling you as Christians, God's forgiven us, but we cannot allow... The flesh to see an occasion in that liberty, to get back into that same mess again. How horrible! A person who's been saved and forgiven, had the guilt removed, goes right back into being entangled again with the yoke of bondage. If you've ever done any work with, you know, people that are addicted and stuff like that, man, you see. You see that, and, and sometimes they truly do get saved, and man, they're forgiven, and, and for a while it's great, but they, they don't really address what's causing them to go back to that stuff, and the next thing you know, they're back in the same mess again. Hmm. Why? Because, well, we're selfish. We're selfish. We're somewhat hardwired that way. We're doing what the flesh wants. Saved? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? You can't lose your salvation. It's his salvation. He gave it to you. He keeps it saved. And so, but ineffective for the purpose that God's put you here, others are not drawn to the salvation that you have. In fact, they're probably repulsed by it. There's no light in them causing people to see their good works and glorify God. So before a person is even aware that it's going bang, going on, these small compromises get a person back into that situation where they're in the same sinful mess they were before. No evidence of their salvation. In fact, what happens a lot of times, and some of you may be here, they have tried to stop it. They've tried, you know, OK, I'm, I, no more. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm done with that. And they fail. And they fail, and they fail. And they've done that so many times, it's almost like they give up. They give up. When all along, the same God who had the power to save you is the same God who has the power to free you. It's not about what you do. It's what you allow Him to do in you. Wow. If we continue in His Word, then are we His disciples indeed. And we will know the truth, and the truth will make us free. But the flesh, you know, it's all about itself. It is contrary to the Spirit of God. And if we walk in the flesh, we will not fulfill the leading of the Spirit of God. If we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the flesh. And you know what? We can't continue to play this game of pretended spirituality. Listen, guys, to what I'm saying. This goes on far too often in our churches. Men come in pretending to have this spirituality, pretending to be leaders of their home, pretending like they've got things right in their Christian life, when all week long they've been playing these little sin games, dealing with this and playing with this, and then somehow acting like they're spiritual. There's no truth to it whatsoever. It's sad that we get into this thing. <clears throat> I was talking, I was thinking about some signs of selfishness and some things just came to my mind. When your wife or your children do not operate according to your plan, you get angry. In fact, often you'll use anger as a way to, manip- to manipulate your family to get the things you want. Huh. You know, you're the Lord of the home, right? And your wife and your children are your loyal subjects. In fact, some guys think that hey, they're there to minister to my every need. But what is real love? Think about this. Jesus said this, Matthew 20, 28, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Here is the real Lord, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, being a servant. And here you are, a nothing. But a sinner saved by grace, acting like you are Lord. Wow. But you know, I'm the man of the house. My wife is supposed to submit to me, bless God. Well, that's true. But you're also supposed to submit to the Spirit of God and to her. Read Ephesians 5. Submitting yourselves one to another, the Scripture says. There's another way. You don't mind getting your way, but you have a hard time letting others have their way. Sign of selfishness. In fact, you find happiness just as long as no one else gets their way. (laughs) You know, it's amazing. Isn't that true? I've seen men like that in churches. You know, they they, they want their way, but they're not going to get their way. And they're just happy just as long as somebody else doesn't get their way. You know, you think about it, men, we have all these tools. We have our Work tools, we have our hunting gear and all that kind of stuff. We can find reason to buy that, but when our wife and children come and they need something, you know, it's like, "Ah, I don't know if we have money for that. Some of us ought to look around and see what we have and see what we allow them to have and, and show us some selfishness. The whole looking on a woman to lust, that whole thing, that's a symptom of such selfishness. For a wicked, for a single man, it's very wicked. You, you that are not married, I'm just telling you it's very wicked for you to look on a woman to lust after her in your heart. You need to remind yourself, she's not yours. She belongs to somebody else. She's not yours. And those that are married, it's just as bad. It's crazy. In fact, you think about it. You know, most men want their wife to be everything he wants her to be. And then a lot of them want to have their little private playground. You know, the Bible says to drink waters out of your own cistern. And I just bring up a few things to just help you to understand. We do tend to be very selfish. And there's some things that are probably very evident in our lives that would say to us, yeah, I am very selfish. What's the cure? By love, serve one another. By love, serve one another. Now I want you to understand where this love comes from. Because it's not just ordinary love. It starts with God loving us. That's an amazing thing. In 1 John 4 9, it says, But in this was manifested in the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So it starts with God loving us. His type of love, agape love, is only God's love. So God loves us. When we get saved, we love Him back. Verse John four nineteen says we love Him because He first loved us. Loving Him back. Then that love is perfected, now listen to this, when it comes back to us and through us, to our brothers, if you will. First John 4:20, 20, 21 says, For if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. And he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, he that loveth God loveth his brother also. So I want this to be really clear. In my mind, I, I see this in 1 John 4 really easily, that first of all, God loves us. He proved it When He died for us on the cross of Calvary. His love came to us in salvation. When we get saved, we love Him back. But He doesn't stop there. He keeps on loving us. But not not in the same sense He loves us. He gives us His love that we might love others. That we might love others. Now, I want you to understand this. What it's saying there, it says that if a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. So here's where that process gets messed up. The process gets messed up when we don't love God back. It's not our problem. You say, well, I have a hard time loving other people. It's because you have a hard time loving God. That's where the issue is, because if you love Him, He will love others through you. That's where the whole thing, it's, it's amazing how that it's related to this situation with the Lord. And our selfishness is inversely related to our love of God. Huh. It's obvious that this is taking place because we're letting the flesh have what it wants, and consequently, we're not letting God have what he wants. You can almost hear the Lord speaking to you as he did to Peter. Lovest thou me? lovest thou me the love of god is perfected by love in love serving one another wow now a lot of men think they're pretty good at hiding their selfishness have their little private sin they think nobody knows they have this liberty in christ so they think you know what i can play around with this sin and it'll be okay some men think they're good leaders the good, good man of the house, but they're just acting like lords. So I would say to you that some repentance is in order. I think about this. Judas Iscariot was a selfish sinner. Remember the story when Jesus had brought Lazarus back from the dead and then you get to John chapter 12 and Jesus is in their house and Mary takes a pound of ointment of spikenard and she anoints the feet of Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair. And you remember what Judas Iscariot said? He said, "Why was this waste made? It should have been sold and for 300 pence and given to the poor." But the Bible tells us he didn't say it because he cared for the poor. He said it because he was a thief and he kept the bag. You know what? But it sounded really spiritual. Sounded really spiritual. In fact, so much so that you read about Jesus then being in the house of Simon the leper and another woman anointing the head of Jesus. And this time the apostles say, why was this waste made? Interesting, isn't it? I mean, Judas Iscariot started the whole thing. It sounded spiritual, so the next time... Can you imagine the disciples kind kind of like rebuking Jesus? What is that all about? You got this hypocrite over here named Judas Iscariot, and the people are following him. Judas Iscariot tried to hide his self-centeredness with spirituality. Like a lot of us good independent fundamental Baptists. Oh, yeah, we can stand and pray. Oh, God, if our fathers. We can sound so spiritual. We can ask, pray for my family. Hey, pray for you. Remember the old song, not my mother, not my brother, but it's me, oh, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Hey, that's what we need. And worse off, we're influencing others to do the same. I'm going to close with this question. Would it really be all that good if the boys of yours turned out like you are right now? Would it really be all that good if your sons turned out just like you are right now? Well, I'll tell you what, we need to address this selfishness thing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning.